0: Hi everyone, it's Jenna Wall. And if you're tuning in with us each week, we know that you're invested in yourself and furthering your leadership journey. At Crestcom, we believe great leaders aren't born, they're made. They turn skill into habit and habit into instinct. Continue your growth journey and learn to make leadership instinctual by joining us for a complimentary leadership summit around the theme Connected. Connected is a two-day virtual leadership event where we'll discuss what it means to be connected, whether that's creating meaningful connections with customers, building connected teams and inclusive cultures, having the courage to innovate, leading with compassion, or becoming more authentic in our professional and personal relationships. We have a packed lineup of speakers ready to help you build authentic and strong connections. Save your seat now and get connected with like-minded individuals on April 28th and April 29th. That's this week, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. You can register at Crascom.com. Now, on today's episode, it's a mashup. You're going to hear from three of the speakers that will be appearing on April 29th, Tamara Gandor, Tyrone Holmes, and Nora Burns. Here's a clip of a recent episode that I did with innovation thought leader and expert and founder of Go to Launch Street, Tamara Gandor. Hi everyone, Jen DeWall here. And on today's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I sit down with author, speaker, and founder and president of Launch Street, Tamara Gandor. Tamara shares her insight as an innovation expert on the four traps of certainty that leaders and organizations fall into that jeopardize innovation efforts. I found a lot of value in Tamara's episode, and I hope that you do too. Hi everyone and thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Leadership Habit podcast. It's Jenual and today I am so excited to introduce you to innovation thought leader, the creator of the IQE assessment and the president and founder of Launch Street. Tamara Gondor. Tamara, thank you so much for joining us today. So, it's so great to have you. It's I'm look I just love everything about
1: you, and I am just was so excited for our interview. Well, thank you for having me, and we have so much to talk about. I just don't know where to start, because it's going to be so good. (laughs) I know. Well, first,
0: we have to talk. We have to go to the basics, Yes, because I have gotten to know a lot about you and what you do, but... Could you just tell us a little bit about what you do, what Launch Street is, yeah. and how you play in the innovation space for those that may not have
1: heard of you yet? Yeah, I love how you said that. Play in the innovation space yeah. too. So my company, Launch Street, what we do is we help individuals and teams gain the competitive advantage through the power of innovation. And what we really do is the human side of innovation. We we like to think of it as we unlock the I in innovation. So you can think about innovation in the sense of what's the process you use or what's the culture we want to create. But all of that is really built on the foundation of how do your individuals, how do your teams, how do they innovate as humans? How do we bring that to the forefront? Because the reality is we can invest in all the processes and tools and flavor of the month technology we want. But if our people aren't being innovative, none of that actually works anyway. So companies that work with us really come to us because they say, hey, we know people are our best asset. So we want to get them to be more innovative, both as individuals and then as high-performing teams so that we can build the culture we're looking for. So that's that's ultimately what we do. And I have to say, Jen, it is, it's so rewarding because we get to see transformations, not just at the company and bottom line level, that's super exciting, but where it starts, which is at the people inside the organization.
0: Well, and I think what's so inspiring about what you do is you give people, the everyday person that may not be... Or even think of themselves as innovative, you give them the the opportunity to identify as someone that is an innovator. And I think knowing the importance of innovation, it's so important that we give people that power. And I love that you you take it down to that human level, or you have the eye level, because it is so essential, and everyone should be
1: innovating. Well, and I think, you know, we could go on and on about why innovation is so important, if we want to. I mean, a lot of us know that the times are changing, the competitive landscape is fiercer than ever before. The rate of change is faster than ever, the pressures are bigger, like all that is true. But at the end of the day, to to win in this marketplace, the company has to be innovative across all the departments, right? All the people. And that means not just the cool people, but it means all of us. And I love the way you said that we call them everyday innovators because that's what we all are. We're all innovators in some way. And I think for a lot of us, we just trained ourselves out of it over time. In fact, so there was a super cool study um, that I found that uh, it's so fascinating. So in schools with teachers, they asked them to rank what are the most important skills for your students. And of course, creativity was at the top. Then they asked them to rank their students on which ones were the most creative. Then they asked them to rank how much they liked those students. And sure enough, the the kids that were ranked highest in creativity were ranked lowest in terms of teachers liking them. don't get me wrong, this is not about teachers being bad. They have 30 kids, 35 kids in the classroom. They're just trying to like manage to the test these days. That's a system issue, which we can talk about another time. But what was fascinating to me is, it's because when you're being innovative as a kid, you're being disruptive. You're not following the rules. You are thinking differently. You require different learning styles. So at a very early age, most of us are taught to fit within that little box and to not be innovative. There's consequences for being innovative, yet it's our greatest competitive advantage. So over years, and I hear it all the time, people go, oh, Tamara, you know, Jen's innovative, you know, with her cool outfits and stuff, but not me, like I'm not the innovative one. I'm just in engineering and I just do my job. But it's because we've been trained over time to think that, but it's actually, all our research has actually shown that that's not true at all. We all have it and it's our greatest competitive advantage not just for performing at our peak, so that's one part of it, but also for having a stronger voice in the world because when we innovate, that's how we actually contribute.
0: In our next clip, Tyrone Holmes will talk about our role as leaders in diversity and inclusion. Thanks for listening to the Leadership Habit Podcast. This week, our host Jen DeWall talks to Dr. Tyrone Holmes Dr. Holmes is a professional speaker, consultant, and author of Making Diversity a Competitive Advantage. Enjoy this great conversation about being aware of unconscious bias in leadership and how to make diversity a competitive advantage in your organization. Hi, everyone. It is Jen DeWall, and I am so excited to interview Dr. Tyrone Holmes. Tyrone, thank you so much for joining us today on The Leadership Habit. We are so happy to have you.
2: It is my great pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: So today we're we're going to talk about the topic of diversity and inclusion, right? This is something that I think we see more and more in the news. We know that it's an area of importance, but for those people that may not be familiar with diversity and inclusion, they may be outside of our space of where we live and play, How do you describe what diversity and inclusion is, Tyrone?
2: That's a great question. And if you ask different, quote unquote, diversity experts, they might give you some different answers. But I want to focus on one that's grounded in our ability to connect with each other as human beings. And when I think of diversity, I think of it in a broad way. I think of the, the ways that we can be different and we can be different in a lot of ways we could be different based on a position we hold in an organization, we could be different based on our hierarchy in that organization, we could be different based on our race, We could be different based on our gender, We could be different based on our age, we could be different based on our socioeconomic status, we could be different based on our physical appearance or physical characteristics, we could be different based on physical abilities or disabilities. And when I think about diversity, I think about creating opportunities for people with those differences to come together in ways that will allow the individual and the organization to be successful and and allow people to be effective in what it is that they're doing, uh, whatever it it may be that they're doing in their jobs. And so I tend to think of diversity inclusion as steps that we take that create opportunities for people who are both culturally similar as well as those who are culturally different to connect with one another, to build powerful relationships, to build powerful connections, to engage each other in ways that will be of benefit to both the people as well as the organization and to do anything we can to create the situation and circumstances that will allow that to happen.
0: It's, I love the purpose of diversity and inclusion, to connect, to unite people, and to have them come together to be able to maybe seek to understand, seek to learn, seek to connect and just see each other despite our differences. Why does diversity and inclusion matter? for an organization? Why does it matter to have diversity? I know that that sounds like probably a silly question. It seems obvious, but why does it matter?
2: The first thing I would say is that diversity isn't necessarily a goal, but it's there already. In most organizations, particularly if you think about diversity in a broad way, looking at some of the dimensions that I mentioned a moment ago, the reality is is that we have diverse organizations. We have organizations that have different genders and have people of different sexual orientations and have people of different races and ethnicities and religions and political affiliations and things of that nature. And so we're already diverse. The potential problem is we don't always engage each other as effectively as possible. We don't always connect as effectively as possible. We don't always interact as effectively as possible. And Diversity and inclusion becomes important for at least one reason, that being that we need to create the opportunities that people, uh, or we need to create opportunities for people to engage each other and to interact with each other and to connect with each other and to operate effectively in teams and work groups in ways that allow them to be successful, and in ways that allow them to do their work efficiently, to do it effectively, to allow teams to work together efficiently and effectively. And when we do that, when we facilitate the circumstances that allow that diversity that is already inherent in our organization to come together effectively, the organization is going to function more effectively and it's going to, going to operate uh, with a higher level of efficiency and productivity. And so there are a number of reasons that, that we could talk about in terms of why diversity and inclusion and why do we want to have a focus on it. But I really like to emphasize because we're already diverse, And because we need to make sure we utilize that diversity in ways that are going to be a benefit and that we get a competitive advantage out of that diversity that we already have that's inherent to our organizations.
0: In our final clip, Nora Burns shares with us how to overcome bias in the hiring process. Hi everyone, it's Jen DeWall, and on this week's episode of The Leadership Habit, I sat down with Nora Burns. And let me just tell you a little bit about why this is going to be such a great episode, because we're going to be talking about bias in hiring. But here's why you need to listen to Nora. Think about it. What would you learn about leadership and workplace culture if you stepped onto the front lines and mopped the floors, stocked the shelves, or made the deliveries? Nora Burns, a leading expert in leadership and workplace culture, did just that. And as a Fortune 200 executive, Nora Burns witnessed the phenomenon of disconnection between the boardroom and the break room and its cost to the organizations. She became obsessed with understanding this disconnect and bridging the gap between titled and informal leaders while remaining in touch with all levels of the organization. In the years she invested analyzing leaders and working as the undercover employee for big brands, Nora uncovered some truly remarkable stories and enjoy as she shares with us multiple examples and stories of how we can unbias our hiring process. Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. And on this week, I am sitting down with leadership thought leader, Nora Burns. And we are talking about the ever-important topic of bias in our hiring practices. Nora, thank you so much for sitting down on CrossCom's Leadership Habit Podcast. We are so happy to have you here with us today. Of
3: course. I'm delighted. You know I'm a total geek on this topic. So... This might be the longest podcast. Oh, no, you've got a hard stop. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> this
0: is the seven day podcast episode. Yeah, we'll just do the longest one ever. Nora, <laughs> uh, let's just talk a little bit about your background, what you do, because I know that you work with clients all over and you help them in a variety of capacities, but I'd rather hear you talk about it um, than me try to fumble through because I, you know, I'm not always great in that capacity. But Nora, just go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience. I know that you, Hey, we talked to you back, I believe. Oh my gosh, the pandemic, you know, 2020, this is your yeah. second episode. 17 now. years ago. I
3: think <laughs> Right, it was about 17 years ago that we left. <laughs> But Nora,
0: yeah, tell us what you
3: do. Yeah, so, well, my name is Nora Burns and my business name is The Leadership Experts. And I I have this passion around how we lead effectively to ensure that the echoes that we put out into the universe, both as leaders as well as as team members, have a positive return, right? So So that's kind of my passion. Everything I do is filmed around or focused around How do you look from a different perspective? How do you shift your perspective to see this experience differently in order to improve it? So we've talked before in your previous podcast about the fact that I'm the undercover candidate and that I've been on over 250 job interviews, not as myself, and looking for some things in the hiring process there to help organizations redesign theirs. And I'm the undercover employee. So I worked for 15 months on the front lines of five different Fortune 500 organizations, where they didn't know that I'm an expert in leadership and workplace culture. Where they saw me as the cashier and the warehouse employee and the person who cleaned the bathrooms a lot. So, <laughs> so, so some of the things i gonna we'll talk about today, when we talk about bias and the the, the impact that bias has, is informed not only by my own um, my own study. By doing a lot of reading and research, but also about my own experience during those research projects and what I saw and what I played with and, and what kind of showed up. So, so that's
0: that's who I am. And I'm based in Denver, Colorado. So your, your experience, Nora, is, you know, I think it really it blows anyone else out of the water to know that many people in leadership positions maybe have never even experienced <clears throat> some of the things in their organization, whether it's the experience of a frontline staff or mm-hmm. even what their specific hiring process looks like. They may only have experienced at the time they got hired, but they don't see the consistency as they onboard new people. So I'm excited to be able to draw from all of this information and knowledge that you have to share with our viewers. Thank you again so much for sitting down with us. So what like so hiring? I mean, we how we even came about like we need to do another podcast was just a really interesting conversation that you initiated, uh, just around you know the unconscious bias. But the the question to start with then is why do people who have good intentions still accidentally discriminate? Because we know that it happens. You've seen it happen more firsthand than I ever have. So why does it still happen? People, you know, why are we still discriminating? Well, it's interesting because there is the spectrum, right? So there's
3: the spectrum of people who are purposefully, willfully discriminating. People who are like, I absolutely acknowledge the fact that I will not hire a woman or a man or somebody who is of a different color or race or religion. There are people who will still willfully discriminate. We're not going to talk about those today. That's all. That. It's a whole bucket over here (laughs) (laughs) spectrum, that are those people who are purposefully, willfully discriminating. And then there's the spectrum across to the people who have just stumbled into it and are accidentally discriminating uh, because of their own bias, because we all have bias. Bias, bias on its face, right, is not bias is really a preference for one thing or the other. Right. I prefer the mountains to the ocean, which is why I live by the mountains right? Still love the ocean, but my preference is for the mountains, right? So that's that's a bias that I have towards where I live. That's not a discriminatory bias in terms of a hiring thing, but it's a bias. So I want to make sure that when we say bias, we're not attaching it as like the word on its own,
0: on its face is bad, right? Yeah. Because I think that is a misconception. I know that I've seen it in my space where people You know, it it can feel like a label that people just don't want. Like, I don't want to say that I have bias, but we all have it. We can't get away from it. And we all have bias. And it's based on all of our filters, all of our own
3: experiences. And it is living in our brains. So it's really neuroscientists who are at the leading edge of the studies on how bias impacts all of our decisions on a daily basis. But really, it's a matter of us reclaiming that decision-making control and not letting biases make the decision, but having us purposefully, willfully making the right decisions. But the people who are unwilling to acknowledge bias are the people who will most often let their biases take control. So it's when people say, oh, no, I don't have any bias. Like, You know, don't attach any of the ists to me. Essentially, right? I don't have any bias. I am, I am always looking at everything completely clear and what have you. And that is the most dangerous person to have as your hiring manager, because we all have bias, and we have a society that doesn't really allow us to talk about it. We often get shamed when we talk about it, but within our organizations, we need to be able to say, "I know that I have." my own biases. And so I want to make sure that when I'm hiring, I'm taking that into consideration so that I'm not tilting the scale. So I don't have, you know, the fingers on the scale of one side of that. And it's small. They're little things. They're little things. Our brains are incredible. Are incredible. Okay. So like today, I'm drinking a hot coffee. I love coffee. Yes, I love a of coffee. Okay. So I'm drinking a hot coffee. If I were interviewing you for a job while I'm drinking this hot coffee. And then in the next hour, I interview an equally qualified candidate, someone who on face, on the face of your resumes and your work experience and your job samples, it would be difficult to discern which of you is actually the stronger candidate. And I'm interviewing them next and I'm finished with my coffee and I go and pour myself a nice cold ice water. My bias is going to give the preference to you because I was drinking a hot beverage my my unconscious bias says god there was just something about her that was just warmer just just
0: really warmer than that other person wait what mm-hmm. that is mind blowing to think that even some a beverage choice which i think you know i know you're talking about accidental you know accidental accidental bias but i had no idea to even think that what i would have for a beverage could potentially play into how i perceive someone in an interview Yeah. So now let's add
3: asking different questions in a different room at a different time of day, (laughs) or like all of the other things that change and shift during a hiring process. And then we're and then when we get to the end of the hiring process, if we haven't used a data driven process, standard hiring questions and a data driven process, oftentimes hiring managers will say, I don't know, my gut just says to go with this person. I don't know why. I don't know why, as soon as, as soon as you use the expression, I don't know why I prefer them over the other one. Bias is at work.
0: That's your cue. You know that bias
3: is at work when you say that.
0: I hope you enjoyed this mini this mashup of these great speakers. Don't forget to register for this event at crascom.com. I hope to see you April 28th and April 29th. Again, that's this week at CrassCom's Leadership Summit.